This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is probably supported by Mick Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mick Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mick Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Take care of your property with equipment you can count on. Like the Kubota BX and L01 Series Compact Tractors. Part of our under 100 horsepower tractor lineup. Rated number one for reliability. And Z-Series mowers and sidekick utility vehicles. Where durability meets speed. Visit your local Kubota dealer for a demo today. Go to KubotaUSA.com for full disclaimer. Visit GoKubota.com for a dealer near you. And welcome to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman. Joining me right now is a very special guest. It's Richard Buxton. He is a freelance journalist who actually covered Marco Silva at Everton. So he's on today so we could talk about his experience of covering Silva. And after we learn about his time at Everton, we then will transition to talk about his potential at Fulham. Will it work at Fulham? I'll get Richard's thoughts on that. If you are watching live, feel free to... Ask us questions. We'll try to get it during the show. And also, if you're watching on YouTube, please do subscribe to our YouTube channel. That would be a huge help for us, help other film supporters find us. Okay. Well, it's time to introduce my guest, Richard. It's been a while. Welcome back to Cottage Talk. I look forward to getting your thoughts on this hire of Marco Silva as the new film head coach. Cheers, Russ. It should be uh, an interesting discussion because, as, as you say, I, I had a bit of an experience with Marco Silva and yep. not always great, but I think there are positives <laughs> to his appointments. Okay, okay, great. So what we're going to do here, like I said, we're, we're just going to start getting your background of potentially dealing with, with Marco Silva and also his time at Everton because it's it's interesting, his rise. You know, it started, we're talking about in England, at Hull. He went to Watford. There was definitely a parting of ways at Watford. We definitely want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. And then his time at Everton. But I, I want to concentrate right now your experience of covering him at Everton. Let's start from the beginning. Well, I mean, Everton had the real... It was a long-term vision to bring Marco Silver in. Um, obviously, when they, um, they, hired, they had this disastrous um, season... A disjointed season, you could say, which started with Ronald Koeman spending a lot of big money 
but unfortunately it was a very chaotic strategy and then Koeman left Everton in October 2017 and Everton spent about five weeks trying to appoint a successor and they settled albeit reluctantly on Sam Allardyce who was a firefighter as we all know and you know keeps teams in the Premier League I don't think Everton were really in danger at that time I think um, when you look at David Dunsworth who was a a former player he's a caretaker he's quite a highly regarded youth coach at the club um, took over he actually got the club up to about uh, 12 I think it was um, just before Allardyce came in the day before in fact um, he got him up to sort of you know mid-table respectable mid-table should we say rather than being in the lower half Um, so Allardyce's job was easier um, and got him to eighth and and did respectably despite having the fans on his back um, but obviously he wasn't the object of affection that was Marco Silva because Marco Silva had done such a great job right. coming in at Watford and then around the time that Everton showed an interest in Marco Silva whether it was informally or or, or officially um, Ever- the Watford season sort of disintegrated and, and Silva was sacked in January 2018 and Watford, which I've got to say, this is the first time I've seen anything of this nature in the Premier League. Watford actually yeah. called Everton out and said, this is the reason why we're sacking him, because results have suffered, and we believe it is a result of this interest from another Premier League club. Um, right. So Everton, Everton sort of, <laughs> if Everton weren't sure on Marco Silva then, they had to be now, because they were basically, this guy, go and get him. Um, and Allardyce was never going to stay. The length of his 18-month contract, you know, he was, he was sacked within six months job done nice payoff for him um, so yep. Silver came in and um, Silver potentially he was he, he was a good manager and he was a, a bad manager and it would depend on sort of what way the, the wind blew um, yeah. but I mean some, some of the first season some of the performances were, were fairly respectable I mean there's some notable ones and some not great ones um, from my experience I always found them being trying to be quite clever and um, he sort of, when we had the press conference at Finch Farm, they'd have it in, in separate parts. They'd have a, a TV a, a agency breakout, a paper breakout, a Sunday paper breakout sometimes. And I was in the agency breakout. And I always found when I asked him a question, it wasn't a loaded question. It wasn't designed to get headlines. It was just a sort of general, you know, doing a yeah. job, asking questions about right. stuff. You could see in, you could see as you asked him the question, he'd start cracking up. like Because you could see he'd already formulated an answer. And one of his favourite phrases, and I, uh, to this day I cannot get it out of my head, is one of his favourite phrases that he used in every medium, whether it was newspapers, whether it was radio, whether it was TV, he would always say the words, I understand your question, and then just completely rattle off his own response, as a sort of like, you know, <laughs> this is the way I do things, and it sort of, right. it, in a way, it sort of, it sort of brings it right a bit full circle this week. It reminds me a bit of Rafael Benitez, who's obviously the new Everton manager now. Uh, Benitez right. had this habit of, of trying to be quite clever and, and trying yeah. to um, not give the journalist the answer that he wanted. And Silva seems to be very much like that. But um, I think it was only really his second season that it started going really badly wrong. I think he, he met he emulated Allardyce with a, a sort of top-half finish. And there were some good displays. Um, but I don't know if it was probably in the style he wanted to play. I think he's quite, um, quite, quite partial to a 4-3-3 system. But Everton tended to set up with a, a 4-2-3-1 a lot, a lot of the time. And, and that was down to you know, making sure they had a midfield barrier, a bit of protection. Um, and it worked quite well. But obviously the second season, it unravelled for a number of reasons. Um, and 
if we're being truthful, I think he probably should have been sacked sooner than he was. He was sacked after a Merseyside derby, a 5-2 hammering by Liverpool, who were yeah. on the way to winning the Premier League title, uh, just reigning European champion. So not not a huge disgrace. But the man of the performance was bad, but the right was on the wall the one before that. I mean, I was at Goodison uh, when they lost to Norwich City. Quite a good Norwich side, it has to be said. And, and you know, we've seen it come back up to the Premier League very quickly. Um, but... I think the right was on the wall then, and then they went to Leicester City, who were on a, an upward trajectory, and it took it down to um, stoppage time. It'd been a bit of a seesaw game, and for the minute they lost it, and that, for me, I think that was probably the, the, the tipping point. I think he was on the highlights and off, thinking you knew he wasn't going to win against Liverpool. Um, yeah. he, he had had good games against Liverpool in the past, I have to say, but that was probably the tipping point, um, that Leicester game, and then the final nail in the coffin came against Liverpool and, yeah. and he was, you know, it, 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 you reflect on his time and you think it could have gone a lot better and, and certain things didn't fall from him in terms of recruiting and other matters which I'm sure we'll touch upon. Um, but in terms of, you know, how you reflect on Marco Silva's time, I think the biggest um, feeling is a sense of regret that he never learned his lessons because the certain things kept happening and he kept um, carrying on, on the same path of, you know, um, Unstinting self-belief in his own abilities. He didn't address the problem, you know, the way there issues, and he didn't didn't fix it. But I mean, I, I read an interview he did um, with Fabrizio Romano from the Guardian a few weeks ago, yeah. and he was very, very, still very personable. And you know, he said he was trying to learn German uh, with the view of potentially going into the Bundesliga or the Austrian Bundesliga at some stage. But he never said um, he didn't expect that to be an immediate transition. He thought it might have to wait a while, you know, uh, build up his stock. Um, but getting back into the Premier League is quite interesting because I thought after the past three experiences of obviously um, he couldn't keep Hull and he came in against a backdrop of, of uh, quite um, strong animosity from a lot of the English media. I, you know, I thought after that you'd think anyone would be put off by that. You know, you've seen various managers oh, yeah. managing England and, and then I think I, I don't fancy being, you know, dealing with, a, dealing with an extra-penalty basis, especially when they're coming out and, and, and you know, uh, slander me when I haven't even got the job. I think that was the biggest thing with, with Silver. And then he went to Watford, which was uh, a curious one because Watford aren't, compared to Fulham, Watford are not really the most stable club in terms of building right. uh, foundations and building a legacy. I mean, you look at you know the turnover of managers there, although it has been very successful, and, and you could be point to Chelsea Light in a way in terms of that sort yep. of uh, high turnover. Uh, it's not a place where you really build a legacy or builds a solid foundation that's going to last more than maybe three years at best. So when he came to Everton, which was already a club that was looking for an identity, it's, it seemed, again, it seemed strange. Uh, but again, as I say, because Everton had pursued him, whether through the back channels or whether through, you know, coach, um, they felt they were duty-bound to, to bring him in. And um, he fitted their model at the time. Obviously, they had they just appointed Marcel Brand as their director of football, who, right. who still is in post at the moment. So... Um, it felt like a good fit at the time but as I say a lot of things didn't really work and some of them were his fault and some of them were just unfortunately down to face so um, I think he can look back on that time as being a combination of uh, failings and maybe a few that he through factors that were out of his control Okay, I want to go back you said something that actually was interesting and a little bit concerning for me when we talk about form in the second half of the show I'm going to mention about Parker because we're going to com- compare Silver Ball to Parker Ball. Cause that, that's what we're going to do, we, we, which is going to be fun. But before we get there, 
one of the criticisms I have for Scott Parker, Richard, was his inability to change from the way that he plays, meaning that learning from his mistakes, basically doing the same thing. In your experience with Silva, it sounds like he has a similar belief that this is the way he does it, and he's going to continue to do it, and doesn't really change to, say, the opponent. Does he change to the opponent? Does he, does, is he a proactive manager, or is he a reactive manager? That was a question I was going to have for you, because Parker is extremely reactive, meaning that he'll make a chess move after the other manager has made a move. Uh, Jokanovic used to be proactive, which I always liked. When he noticed something was wrong, he would change it. Where does Silva fall in the proactive and reactive categories? Probably more sort of proactive. I think he's when he sets a game plan up, he sets it up from the outset. I mean, I think one of the, well, two of the biggest um, successes, should we say, of his tenure were the two most sad derby um, games in 2018-19, um, when Everton really clung on at Anfield and until a real freaky moment where a ball goal was a Jordan pick for misjudged the, the flight of the ball and basically um, tipped it off the crossbar and into the Rockerigi's path in, in the 93rd minute. So that was unfortunate. And I think Everton did exact a bit of revenge because um, when he played in three months later at Goodison, it was a real cagey Merseyside derby. And I've got to say, I think Everton really gave a good loss there. And, and that proved in the long run to be one of the games where Liverpool lost the title that season. So I think Silver does set games a game plan up from the outset fairly well. But when he misjudges it is when it co- it comes undone. I mean, the one I mentioned before was the Norwich game. Yeah. Um, the in-game management was, was awful. I mean, in-game management is not Michael Silver's forte by any means. And also, organisation um, doesn't work. It's very even with players who are capable of, of you know, exuding a bit of uh, presence in in, in the air, like Yerry Mina, particularly and Michael Keane. It just didn't work. Um, defending set pieces is a was a huge concern. I mean, you'd like to think in the eighteen months or nearly two years he's been out of work. Um, you'd like to think he's been working on that sort of strategy because you can't right. you can't stop still in management even if you're out of a job so hopefully he's he's um, ironed out those kinks because they were the biggest problems there was no no game plan once they fell behind okay. there was no um, strategy for defending set pieces and, and it, you know right. I, I've I mean, heard you, that you don't, yeah. yeah I mean it, it feels very similar to um, when Roberto Martinez it was in there was a, um, Leon Osmond was one of the, the stalls of the Everton team he'd been there since um, David Moyes came in and Osman retired a few years ago but before he did he, he wrote a book and he explained that um, Martinez's his assistant Graham Jones who's now um, with the England team and with, with Newcastle United um, didn't believe in practising set pieces in the training grounds which was, which was you know at any stage of football backline management you know if you're post, post-war you should be practising set piece strategies Absolutely. whether you're delivering them or defending them and there was no no appetite then and it did feel like history was repeating itself there with, with Michael Silver because yeah. the amount of times Everton got caught out on at set piece was absolutely staggering and you know as I say he can probably claim a bit of um, a bit of mitigating circumstances with his way in terms of performances in terms of um, transfer, transfer strategy in terms of other aspects but that's a basic essential of football management you've got to be able to organise your defence it doesn't matter if you're very um very, if you're also defensive, you should be absolutely um, a master at it. 
if you're a bit more free falling in your attacking approach, you should still be able to guard against it. Silva was neither a defensive master and he wasn't, you know, playing expansive football. But yet Everton was still getting caught out on both counts because whichever approach you talk, with the odd exception, they were getting caught out on set pieces at least yeah. once or twice a game and, and, and invariably, you know, they conceded from them. Yeah, and, and listen, that's a concern I've already seen from Fulham supporters because they remember that and they've seen the statistics of the goals they've given up from set pieces. So they know it's an issue and they're asking that question, could that be a problem in Fulham? And based on what you're telling me, it could potentially be. But over these 18 months, hopefully he has learned from that and maybe we won't be seeing that frailty and they'll be practicing set pieces. It's funny, Fulham were actually very good, Richard, on set pieces. So they actually have the players that, that can handle it. But the question will be, will they be in training? Will, will they be working on defending set pieces? I certainly hope that they will. But this is a criticism that I've heard of him. And, you know, that goes along with his style of play. I've seen his style of play listed as, you've already mentioned, like a, a, like a 4-3-3. And, and obviously it morphs a little bit. But you and I were messaging back and forth. Just tell the Fulham supporters what they can expect from his style when he comes to Fulham. I think it'll depend on the players he has at his disposal. If, if he's inheriting a good attacking crop of players, he might be a bit more um, conscious of playing a 4-3-3, which is, as I say, his preference. But yeah. I think at Everton he had he had more defensive-minded players in midfield. He had uh, Idrissa Gay, who's now at PSG. Yeah. A really incredible forcer, and you have to make the most of that. And, and the way Gay played, he needed to have someone alongside to help break up that play. Um, so for me, it was always a case of... Um, Needing, he needed to sort of tailor his game plan to the needs of the of the squad he had. Whereas if he has the players at Fulham where he can play a four three three, yeah. Given that the championship is a more open league, that might have scope for you know playing an expansive way, um, which we saw in this batches at Everton. So it, as I say, it'll depend on on how Everton are fixed. Uh, sorry, for how Fulham are fixed recruitment wise, and how they. Um, and, and sort of the demand of the championship because we know the championship is a tough league. Oh yeah, it's a very tough league. And and also, even though you have even though you have playoffs and so forth, the expectancy is similar to what you'd have at a Premier League club who is has designs of being in the the Europa League spots. To get up right. to those top six places, you've got to be you know you've got to have a really good set of results. And you know we saw with Brentford who obviously didn't progress at Fulham's expense. You know, they didn't. They played some great football, but ultimately they lost to, on, on in the final, a better team in Fulham. So, yep. They've come up now, but you can't just have a philosophy and hope for the best. It, there has to be something to back it up, something tangible. So, you know, if he has the players or if he recruits smartly, he can play four three three. But he can also play the four two three one for the more cagey okay. games, shall we say, the games where you're going to need to sort of sit tight and, and nick a one 0 win or hold on to, to you know. You know, a goals draw if it's a you know a heavyweight opponent I mean, in the championship right. this season. So I think there's I think there's definitely a, you know there's definitely a way to to be versatile on the silver. I just think it's going to depend on the players he has. And as I said to you off air, yeah. wingers are going to be a, a big option. Whether it's it's you know out and wingers or attacking fullbacks because that's where a lot of Everton's uh, best play came from. Seamus yeah. Coleman. Obviously, uh, you know, in the day of, of many just going back to the David Moyes period, um, right. he looked incredible um, from the right back when he was given that freedom. Uh, Luca Digne, who came in in Silver's first season, is now, in my opinion, 
one of the best left backs in, in Europe, one of the best attacking left backs in Europe. I know right. people will challenge Luke Shaw, Trent Alexander Arnold, I mean, even Reese James, yeah. um, Kieran Trippier, maybe even. Sorry, not Trippier. Um, uh, ben Chilwell, sorry. Um, yeah. There's so many England, there's so many England fullbacks at the moment. Given the rounds, you lose count of them. But um, but yeah, you right. know, there's some great there's some great attacking fullbacks in the Premier League. Yeah. And on the left side, I think you're looking at having Dinger probably one of the best. And I think a lot of that is down to to Marco Silva, um, and you know, creating um, something that you know what we used to call the in Everton the Baynard access, which used to be Leighton Baines yeah. and Stephen Pienaar. And he linked up yeah. really well with, with Richardson on that side. So that really helps. So I think the left hand side was obviously Silver preference because he had the players there who were capable of playing down that flank. Right hand side not so much because it was only really Seamus Coleman. But I think wing play, as I say, will be so important because that is where most of the goals are. That's very interesting. And we'll talk about that because I'll, I'll ask you when we talk about form, that exact subject about the uh, fullbacks and the wingers, because I, I, I find that interesting that you brought that up. But I still want to concentrate on Silva's time at Everton. And uh, let's talk about this, Richard. Uh, I'm curious because, uh, again, I asked this about Parker. I don't know how many play. I don't know how many foam players uh, actually got better over the course of the season under his coaching. How about the Everton players? Did they improve under Silva? I think improves a very uh, difficult way to, to gauge with, with this Everton squad. I mean, I think we when when I was discussing with another Everton fan um, when Carl got the sort of the nature of Everton squad for the for his successor, and um, someone the person I was speaking to described it as a Frankenstein squad because it had the sort of the the fingerprints of not just various managers he had the fingerprints of various people within the club um, so you know I mean I, I'm, when I mentioned about the Ronald Koeman um, half season where it all unraveled for him Everson signed three number 10s right. Wayne McClendon Kevin Sigurdsson and you could probably pinpoint who signed who in that because um, Daddy Class and teams also inevitably that seemed like a Ronald Koeman type signing obviously former Ajax player Dutch International quite highly regarded he came in Wayne Rooney seemed very sentimental seemed like um Bill Kemmerich, the chairman, was, was behind that one. Yeah. And then Gilfie Sigurdsson, who's outlasted them all, seemed oh, to yeah. be um, Marcel Brand's predecessor, uh, seemed to be looking for a, a proven um, number 10. So you had this weird situation where Everton were playing three number 10s, often at the same time. Um, wow. So, you know, Silver was inheriting, albeit he wasn't inheriting Klassen and Rooney, he was inheriting a lot of players who were there from the Roberto Martinez area, and yeah. um, Leighton Baines was still around the squad, he was obviously from the David Moyes era, and um, the Koeman era, and um, Allardyce brought in two players in the January window. So, you know, he, how you improve players who you didn't really want in the first place is difficult to gauge. In terms of the ones who did come in, Richardson, I think, undoubtedly improved. Okay. I think Richardson had a, a, you know, he had a really good start in the Premier League with Watford under Silva, um, and he still kept scoring when Silva left, but... Um, he, he definitely raised the bar at Everton. Luke didn't yeah. Um I think you know he was coming off a bit of a difficult spell at Barcelona where he hadn't been able to dislodge Jordi Alba at left back and and was ultimately seen as a, a surplus to requirements. And he his confidence and his technical ability seems to be um, vastly improved. I mean, I, I do watch a lot of Barcelona. I won't make any bones about that. So I, I you know I, I was familiar with, with Dinger and I felt he was unfortunate. Um, he signed Andre Gomez as well, and, you, and Yerry Mina also from Barcelona. Um, yeah. 
the, the former on it on a loan with a, a permanent deal agreed the following summer. Um, Gomez is a difficult player to gauge. I don't think he really improved from what he was at Barcelona, from what I saw of him. Um, I think he was probably more burdened by the price tag because I remember when Barcelona signed him, there was a, a, a package with Valencia that was upwards of 75 million euros on the basis that he would win X amount of Champions League, X amount of League titles, uh, whether he'd win one of the, the major competitions while he was a Barcelona player um, for his country, whether he'd win the Ballon d'Or. So I think Press probably was was more on him at Barcelona than Everton. Um, but he did, he, he, he put in some good displays, but then he came back from a really horrific injury, if you remember the one, with uh, Son Hung Min tackling him, um, and probably hasn't been the same player since. Um, Gary Wiener, I think, probably is probably improved more on the Carl Ancelotti than, than Marco Silva. Um, okay. And in terms of the ones who came in at the, the start of his final half season, um, Alex Iwobi, um, yeah. Fabian Delph has already played, there wasn't a great amount of progress there, I wouldn't say. Um, I mean, even play, one of the players we brought in, Bernard, on a free transfer, sort of dipped in and out. So you couldn't really gauge players who had improved. I think Jordan Pickford, even though Jordan Pickford is getting a lot of credit now, I don't think that was down to Michael Silver because I think he had a lot of poor displays. I think there were more more bad displays than good um, on the whole. But And I think the same could be said always, like to Michael Keane. Um, I think Dominic Cavalier was Dominic Cavalier in, in the first half of, of the 2019-20 season looked like he could, he was going to become the player that yeah. ultimately has become now. But I don't think that was down to Silver. I think Silver kind of had to give him a run out because the alternatives were very very poor. Sentosin was was in and out of the team. Um, they brought in Moise Ken from Juventus, which was him. Um, but ultimately, he didn't get much of a look in, and it got to the point where. Uh, Everton lost to Manchester City and you were wondering well, why, is, why is he not getting a look in and it didn't really make sense and obviously he ended up going out on loan uh, to PSG and then um, now it looks like he's probably going to be going out on loan again so yeah. it, it seemed like there were players who were signed to fit the, club, the profile of what the club wanted um, under Silver Silver didn't really have any use for them and I think Keane is probably one of the, the biggest examples because I think he fits that sort of young promising um, aspect who can be developed, but Silva didn't seem to have much appetite to actually develop him. So, in terms of who you gauge as he progressed, I don't think there was many. Um, okay. Apart from probably the ones on the back left hand side being being Dinger and Richarlison, and maybe possibly uh, Gomez. But probably a bit of mitigation for Gomez because of where he came from and and the expectancy that was on him. Okay. All right. A couple more questions about his time at Everton. Then we'll move on and talk about form. Uh, we're talking about. Talking about director of football, because uh, right now, the way things are at Fulham, Tony Khan is the director of football, unless things have changed that we're not aware of. You know, again, fans are hoping that he moves aside, but right now he is still the director of football. So with that said, how did Silva work with the director of football with Everton? Was was there a, a good camaraderie there? Did it work well? Because... Uh, the way that things are structured as of right now, he would be working with Tony Khan and the recruitment team. And how did that work at Everton? It worked quite well. I think I don't think it was it was fractious by any means. I think you, you look at um, obviously I mentioned the, the the Frankenstein squad that he inherited, um, and right. obviously there was. I mean, Everton made this mistake of hiring a director of football and a manager. Before Silver came in, they were completely at odds with each other. They, they hired Steve Walsh as the director of football, who was um, who'd obviously been part of the Leicester team that won the Premier League against all odds 
and had done an incredible job job as a town spotter, but he had never been a director of football. So when he came in, um, went on to Ronald Koeman, the, the recruitment strategy sort of worked for a, a season, and in, in summer 2017, when everyone felt a bit more comfortable with each other, everything just sort of descended into chaos. You know, as I say, there were different people buying different players, a cohesive um, partnership because everyone was putting their own slant on things and, and putting their own players forwards. Um, and that, that is the problem when you hire a manager who is wanted by the owner and a director of football who is a flavour of the month and vice versa if you buy bringing a director of football who is who is you know a long-term target like Marshall Brand was and then a flavour of the month which Silver was not by the way he was at the time he came in at Everton but when you make those mistakes then it's going to be a recipe for disaster so they had a good a, a good foot in at the beginning because Brand okay. knew how to only have talents and Silver wanted players who fitted his style and, and maybe okay. you know we will sort of, you know, when Everton come up as a viable destination for players, it tends to be players who are either on the cusp of, of going spherich, case in point, Romelu Lukaku, just uh, yeah. a gay, or people who are on the the downward trajectory. I mean, you go down the list, you know, Phil Neville, um, yeah, um, James Rodriguez, I think, is a good example. Um, obviously, you know, there were there were reasons why he came in, but you know, bringing players in who have who've seen better days, who've been at bigger clubs, um, have had greater success, and now, so, you know, they've passed the peak. So, um, I think the fact that they could get players like Dinya, Gomez, um, and Mina in the opening, and, Rich, and obviously Richarlison falls into the former yeah. category of being a player whose stock will, will go higher and higher and higher. Um, yeah. And it does, you know, it remains to be seen how long he will be at Everton. I think he said uh, last season that he, he could bear to bring himself to, to stay out for another year and, and put him well that's a bit strange comment to make you hammer the great season but obviously yeah. you can see where Richarlison's career path is going and yeah. he obviously believes that, that it's only a matter of time before he follows in the footsteps of, of Gay, Lukaku I mean even Marouane Fellaini people like that um, so to recruit these players is pretty you know who had, hadn't really reached a peak and it's sort of become a bit unloved and a bit unfancied um, yeah. Because of what had happened at Barcelona, um, which, by the way, that was some of the signings that Barcelona made in the period where like said, Diego Gomez, Mina came in. There was very nonsense. They were very nonsensical. There was a case where they were just signing players um, with no logical reason, really. I mean, the, the basic thought process was there, but when it was executed, it just didn't work. So, um, the fact that Everton could pick these players up was was a great boost for Silver and for Marcel Brands and, and I think that, that that's probably brought Marcel Brands a bit of goodwill amongst the Everton fans because there are some who question him no no, no doubt about that yeah. but I think everyone was so desperate for him to, to stay on beyond his, his contract expiring in the summer um, but Everton were, were, were happy to give him a three year deal because most supporters feel that in the main he's done a, a good job but Okay. Of course, would be arguments that they could have done better. So, in terms of working in a director of football model, I think Silver's well suited to that. Probably, probably better than, than than a lot of Everton managers. I think probably better than Ronald Koeman. Okay. Um, def- I mean, definitely better than Sam Allardyce, who, who believes in autonomy and, and even bringing it full circle now with with Rafa Benitez. Benitez is another one who believes in autonomy. So, I think Silver will work quite well in it in a director of football model more so than than probably other managers who 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 form have had um, in the past few years. Well, that's important uh, for Fulham, Richard, because they are—they will have a director of football. They are bringing in a director of scouting. Now, will that morph into a combined job? We're not sure at this point. Like I said, right now, the director of football is Tony Khan, and he would have to work with him. And if he's comfortable working in that structure, that's okay. But 
let me just follow that up and ask you this question because, again, I was watching Talk Sport this morning, uh, a video from there, and they were talking about Watford, and they you know, and that basically Watford brought in all these players to play the way that Silva wanted, and then of course he leaves. So they bought the players for Silva. So again, this this is a phrase here in Boston from from a coach shopping for the groceries, picking the groceries. So did he have a say, meaning bringing in the players? for picking the groceries. It sounds like he had some input on that with Everton. I think he did, yeah. And I think, I mean, I go back to the Watford situation with Richarlison. Um, I actually interviewed Richarlison um, back in the last season. And when I was doing my research, one of the things that came up was that Richarlison was all set to go to Ajax before Watford came. And Marco Silva sort of went and spoke to him, uh, obviously the Deleuze speak Portuguese, and said, no, 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 you're coming with me. This will be better for you. And I think he's been proven right. The Premier League has been, you know, Richardson has benefited from the Premier League. So I think Michael Silva deserves credit for that. Um, I mean, the thing about it is that when they're saying that, I mean, I know we talk about a bit of a dubious reputation in this country, um, but when they're saying that Silva didn't, what for um, sign players purely for Silva's benefit, um, I seem to recall they didn't do too badly under Javi Garcia. Uh, when he came in, <laughs> and right. that one sticks with right. me quite vividly because I actually I actually went and interviewed one of um, the players who've been at Watford for a while, Craig Cathcart, when they yeah. were in the midst of this really good run where they beat Tottenham, where yeah. they'd um, giving I think they'd giving United a scare, and they were about to take on Liverpool. So it was you know it it, it didn't work out long term, but it, the, the tools that Grashen inherited from um, from Silver they weren't they weren't you know um, really components. They were actually you know very flexible, very sort of enticing options that you can use. So I think Silver definitely would have had a say in in the, the players he brought into Everton um, as much as he did with Watford. I think the issue was that it didn't really come off. Um, right. Thinking specifically about Kurt Zuma, who had been on loan with Everton in, in Silver's first season and done really well, and, and they it, it, it got a respectable top-half finish. But Chelsea didn't want to do business. Chelsea didn't want to, want to sell um, Zuma. They weren't interested in another loan because they clearly had a bigger plan for him long term as, as we've now seen so yeah. I've got Everton a bit short defensively um, Silver also the that I have from Crystal Palace who doesn't really fit the young um, upcoming mo- um, model that Everton are trying to implement now and have been under Marcel Brand's um, directorship but he's clearly a player who Silver liked and, and it was obviously a quite an interesting moment in, on the opening weekend where Silver made the beeline for, for Zaha and gave him a an embrace at, at full time, and that was seen as a sign that Zaha coming, but Palace wouldn't wouldn't sell, and for good reason. You know, Zaha is their talisman; he's one of their best players, and um, he has been for a number of years. So, um, there's, there's some players that Silver wanted to sign, which I think I don't think Everton would have stopped them signing. Right. Um, I don't think, and, and I think they, I think if they, they had done that, they probably would have been on a collision course with with Brands uh, and Silver, and maybe even you know people like Bill Cambridge, the real. Um, the ones who put the strings at the club, obviously, Ken Wright's been there a long time. Matt Farham is here, he's the, the majority investor and has been since 2016. So, I think to, to I think Silver has to pick the groceries to use the, obviously, that, that term. So, I think if your manager doesn't pick it, then, or have a say in picking it, then that's a problem. I think, I, do, I don't think you should be letting the manager dictate the entire transfer sure. policy if you have a role. I mean, York, I mean, I, I know York across the park at Liverpool and, and Liverpool have a real, really interesting setup with they had a manager, they I had a manager, yep. and then they brought in the sporting director. But weirdly, yeah. even though the man, even though the manager wants players, 
the sporting director will still have an input and, and, and clearly share the same vision. So everyone's pulling in the same direction and we've seen the, 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 yeah. the benefits they've reaped from that. And yeah. You've got to give them that. So I think there was always going to be some sort of commonality between Brands and Silver. And I don't think it was a case of, as we've seen at other clubs, namely Chelsea, Manchester United, where the hierarchy picks players and says to the manager, right, you've got him, we like him, deal with it. There's nothing like that. So I think that, that probably bodes okay. well for, for Fulham in terms of having, you know, yeah. um, Silver, knowing his own mind and picking players that, that suit, suit the stuff and the profile that the club wants to pursue. So I don't think that's going to be yep. an issue. Of, I don't think it's going to be an issue that okay. whoever the new, if the, the new scouting director or if, if Khan decides... Um, they want to get someone who's on free, who's a free agent and fling him at Silver. If Silver doesn't like it, Silver won't play him. It's simple as that. So whoever yeah. pick, whoever well, picks these players, the manager will decide yeah. whether they play. And Silver's very much in that bracket for me. Okay, well that's actually very interesting you say that because ultimately he'll decide who plays, and and uh, so in a way he will have a say on uh, the players that are coming and going because uh, he'll be determining who's going to be playing. So that's very interesting, Richard. Okay, coming up next. We're going to concentrate on Silva at Fulham now and get Richard's thoughts on will it work. Okay, Richard, let's uh, let's now concentrate on the hiring of Silva to Fulham. What I find interesting in the announcement, Shah Khan went to Portugal to basically, it sounds like to me, to talk to Silva and potentially recruit him to Fulham. It sounds like to me... Again, there are all the speculation of, of these different managers, Cooper, Wilder, Eddie Howe. It sounds like to me he was their choice because, again, I don't think Shad Khan flies to Portugal to visit Silva if they weren't highly interested in him. So they bring him in. And, uh, again, I'm, I'm fascinated with how this is going to work. I actually am uh, still doing a poll on this, and it is highly in his favor of approval. His approval with Fulham supporters so far over 300 results is highly in his favor. So, But there are people that are skeptical of this because of his past. We'll talk about that in a bit. But I, Overall, I just want to get your thoughts, Richard. Do you think Silva can work at Fulham? I think he can work at Fulham. I think he can work very well if he has, one, learned his lessons from the time that he spent at Everton, at Watford, at Hull, because they are three different clubs who who an eye opening experience of what it needs, what it, you know, what's required to, to not only stay in the Premier League but also compete in the Premier League. So to get back into the Premier League, you need a manager who has ideas which are, I think, probably a bit more out out the ordinary in terms of you know, he's been out of the game for nearly two years. Obviously, yeah. he might have done a lot of homework, I'd say, on on fiction, Dean game management issues. Maybe we'll find. More invested, maybe more heavy pressing, which was something we didn't really see a lot of at Everton because of the restrictions of the squad. Um, and as you say, you know, clearly Carl wanted to, to to get him and made the effort of going all the way to Portugal. And you know, we know with COVID there is obviously a lot of exactly, exactly. jump and restrictions. Yeah. You know, so if you're gonna if you're gonna go all out for a manager and you're gonna go make a play from that way, very emphatic statements. I mean, I, I know you mentioned about there was Wilder and Cooper and. Cooper probably on the on the the fact that he obviously got Swansea to the to the playoffs seemed like a good fit, but as you know, when you you get a manager from another club and and this is unfortunately something Everton have encountered uh, in the past, when you hire a manager from another club, 
it gets messy. I think Everton ended up having to pay about four million pounds closer to Watford because in Watford's minds, Silver had become distracted, disengaged because of Everton's interest, and their season unravelled. And, and you know they managed to keep it on track in the end and stay up. But they believe that Everton was the root cause of their on-field demise that season. So Everton have sort of avoided um, those sorts of uh, avenues. And I think a lot of, of, of clubs do that now, especially the ones who haven't got the big money, you know, the, the ones yeah. who are outside the penalty top six. I mean, even look at, I mean, Tottenham have just hired Nuno, who used to be at Wolves, yeah. a free agent. Everton have hired Benitez, a free agent. Um, Palace are, are, are potentially hiring Patrick Vieira, free agents. Yeah. So going for, for managers who don't have any ties, it's a bit more low-risk strategy because when you look at... And I, I know we're going, we're going to go back to the Everton situation here. Yeah. There's a conversation with at least three clubs in the past eight years. They had to do a deal with Wigan for Roberto Martinez. Um, they had to do one with Southampton for Ronald Koeman. And then they got they obviously incurred the wrath of Watford for, for Silver. So if you are getting a manager of Silver's calibre, yep. on a three, no ties... Then that's a great bit of business because, as, as I say, you get there. That seems like the best fit. Wilder obviously was left Sheffield United, well, was sacked by Sheffield United, um, because his, his his pull, his influence at the club, in terms of positively influencing their results, had gone. Cooper, as I say, you don't really want to get bogged down in that. So I think for the fact that you know Carmen House and Metalbe shows that they are invested in him from the start. This isn't a case of you come to us, it's a case of we'll come to you and we will try and convince you that coming to the Championship is the best route because it will get you back into the Premier League. And I do think it would, this is why I think it will work because I think Silver is the sort of coach who probably would thrive in a Championship environment because there is more games, because there is more yeah. teams, because there are more scopes to progress. I mean, you look at the playoffs in two years ago, Fulham yeah. beat Brentford quite comfortably in the end of the final. And everyone, the world and his wife thought Brentford were going to do it and it was going to be this great triumph of, you know, of a, a expansive football. And, you yeah. know, they had to wait another 12 months for it. That's fine for them. They're the way they want to be. But Fulham can get up there because Fulham can sneak into the playoffs. I don't think they'll be top two. The, the, the strength of, of a team in, in and around the Championship this season, especially the ones who have come down, yeah. I think it'll make it tough for top two. But I think top six in the playoff positions is absolutely attainable and it's just a case of how Silver sets up. If he sets up if he tailors his game plan as I say today, the four two three one for the more defensive games, four three three for the ones where he can he can really unleash fury on, on teams, yeah. then I think he could work and I think players that Fulham have that we know they've got I think he's already got a sort of basis and if he can add some more in, in this window, I think yeah. potentially we are going to see Fulham back up in the Premier League and and you know, I've I've always made yeah. it clear I I want to see Fulham back <laughs> in the Premier League as often as possible. Uh, similar to Norris, they will go up and down, but yeah. you always welcome them back with open arm because you know what you're going to get. And it's nice to have, have, have another team from coming into the into the Premier League because we know the other team gets a lot of headlines and a lot of plaudits and a lot of you know generates a lot of traffic. Whereas I'd be like to see team like Fulham, probably because I've, I've got an affinity with Everton because they are you know overshadowed by a, a, a you know a, yeah. a team with a bigger reputation in, in this you area yeah. of, of the city yeah, you, you know you do want to see the, 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 you do want to see the sort of the overshadowed team excel because yeah. you have capability and they have a history so I yeah. think it could work I genuinely think it could work and I think okay. Silver is probably of the managers out there I mean I can't you know I mean how many managers have we seen linked with Tottenham and they've ended up with Nuno oh I know yeah so well, I think Silver's a great fit okay and do you, this goes back to 
we're going to talk about the fact that he hasn't managed in 18 months. Do you think that is also a point to prove for him? Like you said, you mentioned that that maybe he's used this time to learn from his mistakes, hopefully. And uh, how it ended with Everton, here's like a fresh start for him. He's going to be in the championship. He's hopefully going to have the tools to succeed and then get back to the Premier League. Does he have a chip on his shoulder? Could this be a good thing for Fulham? Could he have a point to prove here? I think so, yeah. I think whenever a man wants to get back to the former domain, as it, as it were, I think they are doubly determined. And I think Silva, because he's been in the Premier League with three different clubs, and it's been it was a bit of a tornado experience. Obviously, he went from Hull in the middle of you know the middle of a relegation dogfight straight into Watford, and then a little bit of time out, and then straight into Everton. There hasn't been that much time to reflect on where he's going. He, will, uh, he seems like the sort of manager who will look at games, he will watch them yep. back, and there'll be some that will be imprinted on his mind. It will be Norwich at home, it will be Leicester away. It yep. probably won't be the Merseyside Derby hammering to Liverpool because I think Liverpool were always going to win that game quite comfortably. I just think sure. the players he had were. I don't think it was an organisational problem, I think it was a mentality issue then, and I think that was unfortunately because Everton had this hanging over them from whenever they went to Anfield um, I think that I don't think that'll be in his mind but I think he will think back to I'll say the Divock-Origi game where Everton really did hold on and re- and you thought actually a point here is not bad considering Liverpool yeah. are, you know neck and neck with Man City in the title race so I think he'll look at those games and he'll say, he'll say where do we go wrong here where do we go right here so okay. in the Derby case it'll be where do we go right okay. in the game what do we do wrong Leicester why do we lose that game in the 94th minute and you'd like to think he's that, he's that meticulous that he will go back and he will have made notes and then he and in the back of his mind when these situations manifest to get it for him because they always do. But football is a yep. game a game of patterns and certain patterns do repeat themselves in various games. There's that many there's that much action, there's that many instances. Something will click in his head if he has done his homework and he'll think, right, we need to do this differently. And he might have have shut shut up shop a bit more. He might have tightened up defensively on, on the on the zonal marking, he might have Found a way to handle set pieces. You oh, just boy. don't know. But you'd like to hope that if you've had this this much time out, I know we well, haven't. No, I know we haven't had much time to do stuff with a pandemic going on. But you'd right. like to think that where manager would at least have sat down with the video. He can't go anywhere. Right. Exactly. He would have exactly. sat down with us and, and pointed out what's gone wrong, where it could have gone better, and how I stopped this happening again. And that's why I think Marco Silva, if he has done his homework, he is the manager I think he is. He yeah. will learn from his experiences. And he will, he will be able to implement that for them. It's just whether I always have this doubt with, with managers because you look at Roberto Martinez. Yeah, he didn't. He hasn't learned anything different from no. well, when he was at Wigan or when he was at Everton. Just has better with Fulham. He has probably slightly lesser quality players with the greatest respect to Fulham because yeah, they don't have course. the England goalkeeper. They don't no, have Charles. They don't have. No, not. But you don't know, think that the, the method is still transferable? What he learned there, he can transfer to Fulham. It's just a case of he's going to have to be so tight on his mistakes and, and correcting them because there is going to be less margin for error. Right, and and that goes back to what we talked about earlier. If he learns from his mistakes and uses this past 18 months to his advantage, then this could be a very good situation for you. But again, I'm, I'm going to share this comment, Richard, because it, it goes to what we're talking about. Concern for me, this is from a phone supporter, Stefan, is that he has been out of the job for 18 months. Uh We've already been talking about you could potentially see this as an advantage, Richard, the fact that he's been out of football for this period of time to hopefully learn from his mistakes. 
Yeah, and it's uh, it's quite interesting because we've, we've got a similar situation here um, on Mez's side with obviously Rafael Benitez coming in at uh, Everton. Right. Uh, quite a controversial appointment, but it, I, something that stuck out for me was Benitez was giving an interview with the, the Times uh, newspaper in England uh, in May saying about how he wanted to come back into the, to Premier League management, how he'd um, been studying games and he's been watching a lot of games and, and studying them and how he can you know improve any team. So obviously he's looking at teams who are probably not going to be um, have a long-term manager, so probably Everton, probably Palace, probably Tottenham. Um, he's probably looking at their games and saying, how do I improve these games? And you'd like to think that Silva is doing the same thing. You know, I mean, when we were down last year for a good six months at least and, and no one was going anywhere, there was no football on. There was no football on for at least three months. Surely he must have sat there and dug out the videos from his old his, his, his analysts and gone, Right, well, yeah. once, once, you, once you stop feeling sorry for yourself, you've got to get back on the horse. So sit yeah. down, stick a DVD in or whatever it is and look at these games, look at the patterns of play. And managers, managers players watch games differently to us because they can analyse the game differently, they read the game differently. So you will right. see things in, in, in the, say, the Norwich game when Everton lost 2-0 and think, I can see what's happening here, whereas most people wouldn't see it until it happens. So you probably think, I could have guarded against that by having moving players, you know, closing down players on the flank or, yep. you know, stopping the dead run, dead run through, the, through the middle and tracking the runner. There's things you could have improved on. So I, don't, I think, I, I understand Stefan's concern. You know, yep. managers being able to work for, for a long time is insane. But at the same time, managers, you go straight back into a job and it's like, you know, they don't even catch a breath. That is yep. risky. Um, it doesn't always work. We've seen with Jose Mourinho, that does not always work. Yep. How many clubs has he been to? It had a, a modicum of success, not always tangible success success was derailed because he's reverted to type so he's young enough and flexible enough and it's interesting um, back here from Mourinho that I feel like he'll, he'll look at Mourinho's career path look at how it's gone wrong and feel I don't want that and feel like he can guard against that so I think reflection is very important for, for a man like Silva who is young enough to change his ways people like yeah. Mourinho aren't unfortunately at their, their age of their career and, and this stage where on jobs and you know it hasn't worked out so I don't think the timeout will be an issue. It's how he's used it. It'll be the biggest yeah. factor. If he's learned from it, then great. If he hasn't, then it's going to be a very, very difficult season. <laughs> but I'd like to think, uh, you know, I, I, I do yeah. still have a, a, a strong amount of respect for Marco Silva. Yeah. I'd like to think he's learned from his mistakes. Okay, excellent. Okay, here's a question that I know a lot of Fulham supporters are interested in because there have been reports that he's bringing his backroom staff from Everton, including Luis Bolamorte, which is... Huge for foam supporters. Just in general, how do you rate his backroom staff? They're quite um, understated, should we say. I mean, I compare it with, obviously, um, Carl Ancelotti, who brought in a lot of fitness coaches and so forth. And, you know, it's very similar um, setup. Although you didn't know the names of the people. I mean, the only time we really noticed any um, change in the personnel was obviously when he lost his assistant, João Pedro Souza, who... Um, went to Familia Cal, who was a Portuguese um, Premier League team in 2019. And that, was, and that was when there was the turnover with Luis Bowen coming in. So in terms of obviously the personnel, we don't really know a great deal about them because Silver, he's a lightning rod. He uh, he takes all the criticism. He takes all the you yeah. know credits as well. He, he doesn't really sort of delegate, whereas when Carl and Chelsea was here, we had Duncan Ferguson being promoted to assistant to obviously yep. everyone knew. Um, then his son was a um, a coach as well. His son would give interviews, so you're getting input from a lot of people at the club. Whereas Silva was the only real 
uh, orchestrator, I'd say. I mean, Bonemorty did an interview when he came, but they yeah. were very rare. So, and obviously, Bonemorty's connection with Fulham is yes. so well known. So, you know, a, a yeah. fan favourite. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was funny because uh, I was actually in Portugal when um, they announced um, Bonemorty was going to be Everton's assistant manager. Right. And I, I, I was racking my brain and I thought, Bowen Morty and Everton, I'm sure there's something, there's a scare. Um, and then there was, there was a, uh, in 2000, and I think it was one or two, there was a bit of a, uh, a fiery game at Craven Cottage. Yeah. Um, and I actually put the picture up and, and someone just hit me back straight away and said, yeah, he'll do for us. He'll do for us. So, you know, that sort of dogs of war spirit. But no, I think Bowen Morty, I think Bowen Morty, you know, was clearly, you know, his bond with Silver's quite quite strong obviously he can probably right. impress one silver this is the club you're going to be coming to and it, and it works quite well exactly 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 and and again to the concern that Fulham supporters have about Silva and his history of leaving clubs and not staying that long I go back to the hiring of Luis Boamorte and being a, a Fulham former Fulham player Fulham legend that that has to have some weight Richard he has to know what he's getting himself into because of who Bowen Morte is, not only on his staff, but who he played for in the past and, and the love that he has for Fulham. So to take this job, I'm talking about for Silva, and bring on Bowen Morte, he has to be invested in Fulham. I'm talking about Silva. You know, just just from having Bowen Morte on his staff, he has to buy in. Yeah, and I think a big deal, you know, Bringing in someone like Bowen Morty, I mean, clearly the partnership worked there, Everton. It just obviously didn't work out in terms of the results. Right. But, I mean, the way of performance is there where you thought, um, I don't think you could really see Bowen Morty's uh, stamp on it, but clearly he's a good sounding board. And if he's coming on board to Fulham, which is obviously a club which is still holds a great deal of affection for him. Absolutely. It's a real, a, a why, if Silver does, I think, um, if Silver does a car on Chelsea and, you know, jump ship at the next opportunity, that's going to affect badly on, on not just him, but Bowen Bo Morty as well. Because exactly, Bowen Morty, unless, unless, unless Silva goes to another club and takes Bowen Morty with him, Bowen Morty yeah. has to take the flak. And even then, I mean, we saw it with Carl Ancelotti, his son had to take the flak for a few weeks because he jumped shit. So I think Silva's investing in one in who he clearly gets on well with on a personal level and a technical level as a coach, but also yeah. someone who's a former legend. I think that's going to you know, strengthen the motivation for Silva to do well because he's going to think... Exactly. I can't let him down. I can't let this club down. So exactly. I'm seeing positives here. Yeah, and and that's why when I when I was heard that he was a part of the deal, I was like, okay, this to me really solidifies it for me, you know. And again, I I was I'm gonna be honest with you, Richard. I I was kind of you know again I wasn't too sure about Silva, but then when Luis Bonamorte was I knew was part of the package, I'm thinking, okay, this is a good thing because like you said. His affection for the club, he had to put that on Silva, the importance of Fulham, and I think okay, this could work now because he's on the staff. So I, I, I can't put even more stock into. I mean, I, I think this is huge. Luis Bonamorte on his staff. So I'm glad that we talked about that. All right, here's something that we have to talk about. This is funny, and and I want to give Eddie, uh, Eddie Middlebrook. I think I just want to double check Eddie because uh, you, yep, Eddie Middlebrook. Had this comment. I'm just going to share it here. Silver ball versus Parker ball. So <laughs> we under Parker, it was a, it was distinct style, Richard. And I got to tell you, over the course of two seasons, two two plus seasons, I dealt with it. I'm like, okay, fine. It got them to like you said, back to the Premier League. 
But at times, I've got to tell you, man, it was hard to watch. Now, Silva is completely different. He's more on the Jokanovic side where it's attacking football. So let's talk about the difference between, we're going to call it Silva ball versus Parker ball. Well, for the start, Silver Bowl, for all its flaws, I think it's complete. It's a well-laid part of ball, isn't it? Let's be honest. I mean, there's there's a bit more discipline to it. Even as I say, even with the issues of of the the in-game management, there's still a, a structurally it's it's a lot more solid. It's yeah. just obviously the little the little about finger like set pieces and and you know in-game management when when you come up against a more technically superior side, as we say, and not always a better side, but technically superior on the day. Yeah. Um, I mean, Parker Ball, it's, you know, you can probably laugh at it now because, because, because obviously, you know, the die is cast and he, he's gone. Yeah. Um, by the way, that was a strange one, wasn't it, Bournemouth? That was a very strange appointment. Uh, Richard, let's talk about that a little bit because we are comparing Silva to Parker and I, I do find it a little weird, you know, again, because they really went after him. They wanted him. I'm talking about Bournemouth. And nothing against Scott Parker because Scott Parker... Did a job for Fulham, but in the end, again, he was a manager that really never changed his ways, and and I didn't feel learned from his mistakes, and he had a distinct style and never reverted from it. So I'm trying to think of what Bournemouth are seeing in Scott Parker because, again, they're going to get Parker ball, and I know the fans of uh, Bournemouth are hearing from the Fulham supporters and that they think that the Fulham supporters are salty, and I'm telling you, no, it really comes down to the style of play. We live through Parker Ball. The Premier League has lived through Parker Ball. So, again, I'm curious why they why they went after him. What, why do you think they went so hard after Scott Parker? I'm curious your view on that. I think they want, I think Bournemouth won an identity because after they lost Eddie Howe, um, I think they wanted someone. Obviously, they had uh, Jason Tindall in. Um, but obviously, it didn't, it didn't really work. And... Um, I've got to say, I mean, I think it was just, it was quite sensitive on Twitter earlier in the week about Fulham sort of buried bad news um, during Euro 2020, during a really pulsating game. <laughs> and then Bournemouth buried similar bad news yeah. with the same person during, during another really exciting game. You know, it was almost like, I mean, I understand Fulham doing it because obviously Fulham wanted to, to get rid you know, basically see off part of yeah. Well, and in terms of, of betting bad news, the only, people, the only team who could, who could have possibly betted worse news this week would have been Everton with their manager. Right. But Bournemouth, you'd think this would be a big grandstand announcement. Instead, they waited until 10 o'clock during one of the best games of the tournament. I mean, surely, surely your social media would think, let's park this to 9 o'clock on, on Wednesday morning. Let's leave this right. now because this France-Switzerland game is just going nuts. Let's not throw right. this in. For you knew, you knew why they were doing it because... You know, you, you oh, want yeah. to get rid of an unpo- you know a manager who's who polarises the fan base and plays yeah. a style of football that's frustrates the fans as clearly as, you, as you, you've articulated. Yeah. But Bournemouth announcing it, it I, I just thought this feels like a very much a frying pan fire situation, and they're trying to bury it under the guise of a major European tournament. It just doesn't make sense to me. And no. uh, to be honest, if, if, if so, if, I could easily see Fulham taking six points off Bournemouth next season easily because I think yeah. part of the ball can be beaten, especially because oh, yeah. Bournemouth don't have the players, technically. I mean, you look at people like the Cordova Reed, yeah. incredible talents. If you've got players like him, they will, if they're used in the right way, they will rip through Bournemouth, I promise you. I mean, if this will come back on me in, in a few months' time and Bournemouth might win 2-1 or something. But if you've got players who Silver can drill 
who yep. can play his way and he can learn from his mistakes as we've touched upon before. Yeah. I could easily see Parkball getting swayed by Fulham and by Silverball. I do think it's that, because it's, it's because both, unfortunately, and we saw it last season, in the, well, two seasons ago in the Premier League, yep. you know, their style of play has a limited shelf life under yep. Eddie Howe. Right. And the field goal factor won't last as long. I think it'll probably be half a season if they're lucky, by which point they probably have lost to Fulham at least in the in, in the yeah. championship. They've probably gone out of a few cup competitions, but they probably won't care about that. I don't yeah. think Fulham will be sneaking into the Premier League, potentially. Uh, sorry, Bournemouth will be sneaking into the Premier League if they're going to stake their current structure uh, on Scott Parker's philosophy. I think Parker Ball, as we saw, merit, we saw against Everton, um, you know, with that 3-2 defeat. But at the same time, you know, one, one, one small doesn't make a summer. And I feel like, you know, you can't have that many um, successes with that style of play whereas yeah. I think if Silver does win and it's it fine margins Richard it, he plays to fine margins you know again he doesn't give himself much width to to uh, you know again he, he wants to win 1-0 I mean that's his strategy strategy is to get ahead and hold on for dear life and play very conservatively and I'm just telling you I, I don't know how this is going to go over once the Bournemouth supporters see it. And I think that, again, if you play a certain way, you can actually beat a Scott Parker side. And I and uh, I hope you're right, my friend. But, but uh, to end the show, I want to talk about this because you brought up something very interesting. You and I were messaging back and forth. You've already mentioned one player, Bobby Decadover-Reed, that you think could really benefit from Silva's coaching and style of play. Because, again, one of, the, one of my criticisms of Parker was – I don't think that a lot of the players that he got the most out of, I don't think he played to their strengths. I think I'm glad that you brought up Bobby Decadover Reed because I think this is a player that could really flourish in a Silva style. And then, of course, you've already mentioned this. Again, we have Anthony Robinson. I know teams are going to go after him, but he's a type of fullback that I think would really flourish in a Silva style, along with Kenny Tete. These are two fullbacks that we're already seeing speculation of teams after. But they might want to stay to play in Silva's style of play, Richard. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's interesting that you mentioned Anthony Robinson because obviously he's a player who had a, a prior connection with Everton. Um, right. Just unfortunately right. not on the, on the not on the Marco Silva, unfortunately. But you know he's in around that sort of Mart- Roberto Martinez era, David Moyes era. Yeah. So he'll have a, he'll have an understanding of, of, of those two extremes because Everton did they didn't always they don't always play the same style. But there was, a, you know, a, the, the core of us is to be, you know, defensively solid in the main, and that was something that, that Moyes laid down, and, and Roberto Martinez really reaped the benefits of in this first season. So Robinson will, can probably tailor his game plan to that. And you know, as you say about, you know, players, clubs will try and pick off foreign players now they are back down in the championship. I think that happens with a lot of, of, of teams that go back down. I'm sure there'll be people knocking on the door for a few Sheffield United players. You know, Sander Birds will probably be yep. um, caused by a few. Uh, the sort of the mid mid lower, lower tier teams in the Premier League, um, but I think if you've got a good manager and you know his okay his track record isn't great in the Premier League, you know yeah. one top half finish, sacked when he was in the relegation zone, sacked when Watford were hovering above the relegation places. Right. You know you can you can probably say and you can understand people wanting to jump ship in in that situation, but if Fulmer do not have the financial pressure to sell, which we know they don't because of the ownership, right. Right. they're going to get parachute payments. They can hold on to a lot of these players. Some of these players want to stay, stick around. But if they have a manager who is 
able to show he's improved on what he did at Watford and at Everton and even to a less degree Hull City because Hull City don't forget beat Liverpool yeah. they took points off some of the big Premier League clubs as well so Hull City were no slouch team they were just unfortunately the damage had been done earlier in the season and he yeah. faced a bit of a losing battle and the, the margin for that were practically zero for him so you know you give him a, you don't give him a free pass there but you give him a bit of mitigation at Watford it obviously unravelled but there were signs of, of a progress there at Everton, you saw what he did with Richarlison, the week at Dinya. If you yeah. can go in to, there and say to people like Robinson, all what I did to Luka Dinya, you can be that player as well. You've got to have the technical ability, obviously, but he could do that. If you can sell it, sell it to them, I think a lot of players will stick around. And I think a lot of the, the more exciting players, as we've touched upon already, will stick around at Fulham. And I think that's a thing. I don't think Fulham will be a, a, a team that Premier League clubs or even you know European clubs potentially are picking off players from this season right. because if there's a manager who's got a clear blueprint, who's got a um, who's got a vision and a, and a great game plan that he can stick to and he can right. he can sharpen up and tighten up if he needs to, I think players will, will, will respond to that. I think I know a lot. It depends on what happens on the training ground, the yeah. moves around the club, the sort of the temperaments a lot of these factors that we see with a lot of managers but I think Silver is, is young enough as I say to learn the end of his ways and tailor his game plan and still be one of the probably not maybe not a leading coach because he's never going to be a Pep Guardiola or a Jürgen yeah. Klopp or um, a Thomas Tuchel or even a Carlo Ancelotti he's never going to be in that category but he can probably be on that sort of second or third tier the sort of right. you know the, 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 the best of the rest I think but he has to show that and I think if he can show that the players will respond to it and I think yeah. we saw you know as I say a couple of players responded to it at Everton but only the ones really he brought in because he's coming in to Fulham where it's a clean slate yeah. and it's not just you know a high ten over the managers I know I know, obviously you know, we, we saw Jukanovic um, turfed out quite early on a few seasons ago but you know the ten around the managers isn't as, as, as frenetic as it has been at Everton yeah. um, so I think I think players will respond to that I think they will respond to a manager who comes in with new ideas and with a, a different style of play, and maybe, maybe the ones who were there from Yukanovic's time um, will probably it will resonate with them. So I think in terms of keeping players to stick around, um, in terms of convincing players to come to the club, I think he's got a really good chance compared to Parker's. I mean, I mean Scott Parker. But let's be brutally honest about him. I've never understood the obsession with Scott Parker in this country. I've got to be. I've got to be honest, and I find it so Richard, strange. Richard, I don't mean to slate him on his way out. But the media, for some reason, I'm not saying you, have protected this guy. And, again, no one really asked him the tough questions. Peter Rutzler is one who works for The Athletic, did a really good job covering Fulman and covering Scott Parker. But beyond him, for whatever reason, they have not, gone, they have not really asked him the tough questions. And, and he has been just pushed up. He's, he's been catapulted up a level where I don't think he deserves, Richard. I, I, I've never understood the love fest there is with Scott Parker as a head coach. I've never understood why they've been uh, putting him on a pedestal. Never understood it. So I'm curious, why do you think that is by the media? To me, it seems, it's, it's a bit of Frank Lampard syndrome, isn't it? Although Frank Lampard did at least have a, have a very stellar career. Um, and it's, this goes back about 10 years. I always find it really curious that Scott Parker was voted by journalists in this country as Footballer of the Year he, he in a did. season. I remember in a that. season where he went down, he was very disappointed with West Ham, and it's like, but and then it's like you know he was given you know he was given the England captaincy as well, and it's like it's stuff like that. You, you go, 
why? What I, I, it does seem to me a very a sort of this English exceptionalism. I, I do feel like if someone like, I mean, you look at it now. You look at you know all the the leading pundits in this country. Most of them, with the exception of probably one or two, obviously Roy Keane, Graham Souness, yeah. they're all ex-England internationals. But Frank Lampard, they couldn't wait to wheel them out on TV this summer. Um, I mean, I, I do. I've got to say, I think probably comparing Frank Lampard and Scott Parker is very harsh. You know, yeah. Frank Lampard with one hand tied around his back, they get Chelsea into the Champions League last season. Yeah, two seasons ago, right. it, just, it just unraveled. The last season, this season right. is gone. Um, so I think but I think Lampard obviously was promoted because of, of you know he did a half decent job at sure. Derby. Scott Parker has never really struck me as a, as a as a as a player or as a coach. He's never really struck me as exceptional in any, any way. You could say Lampard's legacy made meant he got an easy easy run at coaching, maybe a few yeah. cussy jobs further up the ladder. Scott Parker, beyond winning that football writers award, beyond you know, being a kid in the McDonald's advert twenty odd years ago. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, genuinely I, yeah. struggling to see what he really since he left Charlton when he was, you know, touted as being, you know, this new star. I've not seen it, I've not understood it, I've never bought into and and, and by the way, I've seen players on Merseyside who have been tipped to the next big thing and it's never happened. I've seen yeah. players who've been overhyped on Merseyside. I mean, I won't name names, but there was a few in the Liverpool team last season, there was a few in the Everton team last season. And I thought, I don't get it. Yeah. Good players, yeah, but I don't get the eulogising over them. Yeah. Um, and it, it happens a lot. You know, I, I see, I've seen players at other clubs, and you look at it and you go, I just don't get it. But Scott yeah. Parker is the epitome of, I just don't get it, because he's had a career of very unspectacular... Um, I mean, OK, fine, he, got, he went to Chelsea, OK, we'll give him, we'll give him that. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, Glenn Johnson went to Chelsea... You know, I mean, you know, where's another line of well, he went to Chelsea, so he must be good. So, yeah. I mean, I know, I know, we're, we're picking apart his career here, but no, no, Scott I, Parker seems like a bit of a, he seems like a bit of a same option in the same way, and I, I don't think it's coincidence. He reminds me of Alan Kirby, well, obviously was his manager at Charlton. Yeah, that sort of you know, fated because he's English, fated because he's you know, seen as a nice guy, fated because yeah. he's you know, fair to middling, and occasionally you know, he might get a job higher up the line. But obviously now that's transferred into Parker's playing into his coaching career. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to see it's not just me who sort of no doesn't understand no. that the love no. Parker gets in this country from the media. No, no, I've you know again I've been speaking out about it, and again, listen, I want to give Parker credit for what he did at Fulham. He got Fulham promoted. He deserves a lot of credit for that. He deserves for you know in a way, even though I didn't agree with believing in his beliefs, he stuck to it. But I've never really heard him being challenged, Richard, the way that I would expect someone to get challenged. Other managers get challenged. Is it because he speaks well to the media? He knows the media? An ex-player, like you said, I just don't know. He gets a free ride, and he got a free ride when he was at Fulham when, when basic questions needed to be asked to him about his style of play. And I would never, like I said, except for Peter Rutzler, who did a good job, I would never hear the national media really pick him apart where they really deserve to. Why did Fulham fall apart in the end? Are you telling me Scott Parker had nothing to do with it, Richard? Of course he did. Of course he did. <laughs> this is the thing, though, isn't it? Like, I mean, you look at you, you, you kind of itch. I mean, I remember when I was at that, um, Tottenham when he were at Wembley and they played Fulham, yeah. and this was Fulham after they just come up. And I thought Fulham um, gave a decent account to themselves. He just unfortunately yeah. came up against 
Harry Kane who decided to break oh, his August I remember that slump. Yep. Um, yep. And I thought I, I thought Fulham had done well. I thought I thought they were going to catch themselves. But you know, the slate the slate the slate of Yukanovich I always found very strange. Whereas Scott Parker, because he's got you know because because, because you can you can soundtrack his post match um interviews to a, a street album because he's got a, you know a, he's got a sort of you know the cheeky chappy sort of persona Scotty Parker and all this nonsense yeah, he yeah. gets a free ride but again I yeah. feel like that is the Lampard syndrome on an extreme scale because at least Lampard did have some credentials yeah. in obviously I mean he didn't have any credentials taking to get the derby job but when he got yeah. there he showed his, his worth and same with Chelsea he just obviously unravelled where Scott Parker feels like you know it feels like he's getting a leg up from the, from the media because of who he was as a player, and who he was as a player was essentially like, um, I'm just seeing that comment now, yeah, yeah, that's about right, that is, that's right, that, he did get a free ride from the media, and you know, I think it's because, you know, it, you can, be, because the media thought we can make a joke out of him with these, you know, yeah. these, uh, you, you know, you know the clip I'm talking about, don't you, the, the, the Pokemon interview which is synced up to like a grime song yep. Yep. from the streets, you know, yeah. that's sort yeah. of like, that's what that's what he became. You, you know, he's someone who you know you can have a laugh about. You can you know because he's English, we're not going to swag him off. But yeah. you know, when he does fall on his sword, the outcry is you know, oh, we're good English manager out on his ear. It's and, and this this sort of mentality kicks in with people like Sam Allardyce, Alan Pardew, yeah, and um, when he was at West Ham. You know, you go down the list. English managers get a free ride, especially ones who've been who who have had uh, playing careers in the not-too-distant past. So I think sure. Parker got off very lightly at Fulham. I think, you know, had fans been back in, in their entirety last season, I think they would have let him have it. And I think you wouldn't blame him because yeah. he doesn't play a style which gets results or is, is, is easy on the eye. It's very frustrating to watch. It yes, it, 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 yes it, does, it does give teams like Everton a bit of a fright. But in the main, you know, I mean, I, mean, I, I remember when he won at Anfield. You know, he beat a Liverpool team that was on its knees. It wasn't a great triumph by any means. It was a very scrappy 1-0 win. And it, it touches was. upon what you said, clinging on for dear life. They scored in the first half and they parked the bus for the, for the remaining 48 minutes. Yeah. That's not how you play football. Sometimes, and this is where Silva might have some benefits, Yeah. sometimes you have to go break neck, you have to go back and forth, you have to win games 4-2 or 3-2 or, you know, draw 3 up. So, you know, I, I think Fulham fans, apart from winning the Anfields, yeah. Results were very were, were not quite, not so spectacular, and you know if fans had been in, I think Parker probably would have he would have definitely got both barrels um, from the fans. Oh, on the, you know in in the final months of the season because of yeah. the sides, what really did he do? Well, again, to give him credit, the Leicester City victory at at you know away was was uh, was impressive at the King Power. He also beat Everton. You know, again, we we did the Merseyside double, which is which is bizarre, Richard. We did, we 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 uh, we did beat Everton at Goodison Park, which was an incredible feat. But I was just going to stop you there. I was just going to stop you there. So I was at that game. It wasn't an incredible feat. I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry to. I don't want to. You know, I don't want to destroy my, my credibility with Fulham fans. But Everton were not great. I've got to say, credit to okay. Fulham. Great okay. results. Okay. Great result. No question. Okay. Okay. But I think, you know, the, the clinging off of their life probably worked better at Anfield because Liverpool were hammering the door down because that okay. is what Liverpool did. Okay. But, okay. Uh, okay. but no, 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 credit where it's due, you know, he did yeah. get a win. Uh, he did win on both sides of Stanley Park. That is impressive. But I've got to say, with mitigation, that Everton team, I mean, I, I've got to be honest yeah. with you, 
no, so I, my bad memories of Goodison Park when they leave Goodison Park will be no. the games this season because in the second half of the season because I left Goodison most, most nights because yeah. you're always like games for some reason feeling sure. cold deflated and just like in disbelief of the way he plays so it's not a great uh, it's you know I'll give him credit but at the same time Everton weren't great but I will say okay his Liverpool shot he did work quite well but I won't give him credit for, for that well, but yeah, the results yeah I'll give you credit yeah, I'll right, give you credit right right you know and again for the results but again when you look back at it and you know again maybe all that was fool's gold Richard when we look back yeah. at Parker's reign because because my thought was, okay, if you can beat Everton, you can beat Liverpool, you can beat Leicester City, why can't you beat Leeds United? And, and they couldn't. So, again, that goes back to the players, but also to Parker. Anyways, uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Fulham supporters, I'm doing a Parker bashing at the end, but I had to scratch that itch. I'm sorry, I, I had to scratch the itch. But let's end here, Richard. I just want to get your overall thoughts. Do you think this could work for Fulham with, with Silva? Do you really see, you know, again, what's... Let's start where we began talking about Silva. Can it work? I think it can. It just depends on, as I say, recruitment will be key. Because I, I mean, I'm not. I can't claim to have you know, um, you know, deep extensive knowledge of Fulham squad right. issues and where, where where they need to improve. I mean, obviously, clearly, clearly, the game plan is obviously the biggest thing because we just we've just slated part of both for a good yeah. few minutes. But you know, um, in terms of personnel, where where, where do you feel like? Fulham are, are probably short or on quality or, or depth, maybe, in terms of options and positions? Well, I would say right now it would really come down to the decision that they're going to have to make at, at a striker. You know, again, will Mitro stay? I think they, they definitely need another striker. But, but honestly, for me, Richard, a huge key is going to be central midfield. Will Kearney be Kearney? Kearney's now getting into uh, the latter stages of his career. I think, you know, if I'm Marco Silva, I look at that role. I, I look at, Par- at uh, not Parker's role, sorry. I can't get Parker <laughs> off my head. Look, look, look at the Kearney position and and how he will handle central midfield. I think that that will be key for him. Yeah, and I think, you know, it, it's going to depend on how he sets up because if, if he's got the options to play, if he's got, like, exceptional Ball winning midfield as enforcers who break up the play. Yeah, like he had, a, like, like, like he had in that first season at Everton with, with Richard Gay, who was one of the best yep. enforcers in, in the Premier League, in my opinion. And I think the stats backed it up as well at the time. And you know, he might be a bit more inclined to play the forty-three-one on the regular, which obviously yep. suits Fulham. Obviously, if Mitrovic is still there, right. that's going to work out quite well because he can still be the focal point. Um, and then the only time when he will have to just play a flat out four-three-three. Um, but I do feel like because of the cadence of the championship, the chances to play four three three, unless you have a really unless as I say he's learned his mistakes, yeah. he's analyzed evidence to the nth degree and he's he's made a mental note of I can fix this situation where we you know we can see from a set piece, or I can fix this where we're under the cosh in the last, you know, fifteen minutes and we can see it in the stoppage time. Unless he's fixed all that, we might see four three three one more often because of the nature of the championship. And yeah. um, I do feel I do feel like teams like um Bournemouth, I know I don't really want to go down that route again, but Bournemouth, yeah, yeah, let's not, let's not go down. Um, Sheffield United, um, yeah. just just the teams who've gone down recently, I feel like they're still yeah. living in that Premier League bubble. I know Bournemouth yeah. probably did quite did quite well, but um, I feel like they're the sort of games where where the four three three might be beneficial. But yeah. I'm thinking teams like Swansea, Swansea are going to be tough. They're going to be a team you need to play four two three one against. 
because Steve yep. Cooper has done a great job there, as we saw. So you know, you have to be able to, to, to go toe to toe with teams who will cause problems, yep. and that's where the, that system works. So if Mitrovic is, sticks around, if Tom Kearney is really on it, and yep. if you can maybe bring in another Bowen midfielder who can, you know, you know, dovetail quite perfectly with, with Kearney, then that will work quite well in both in both. Four three three and four two three one, but yep. I mean as well. I mean, I, I, we've kind of neglected to say this. Silver when he plays at four three three, it's very narrow. You know, yeah, it isn't because because the you know there isn't that width. So you know the game the game catches goes goes largely through the middle. You know, you, you're not really using the vast expanses, which okay. Yep. I mean that might that, that might be beneficial in the championship because not every not every championship club. I know they have to have certain pitch regulations. Not every championship side has the same. Um, freedom in terms of you know and down the side as say Everton Liverpool Man United um, you know even some of the teams like um, Tottenham West Ham even right. you know Sheffield United you know so there are going to be I mean Craven Cottage is a classic example of that it's yeah. not the most expansive pitch no but it's not it can work it, but that can work as, as home advantage that can be brilliant because if he plays an arrow 4-3-3 or he plays that 4 3 one where everything yeah. is you know Fed through the middle, it can work. So I think it's. I think there are there are more upsides and downsides to Silver's appointment. So okay, I mean, I do I do believe Fulham could be a top six team in the championship this season. And then you know who knows from there. It might all you know he might fall short of the playoffs, but he'll have done enough to, to to come back stronger the next season. And you never know, it might work. I just fear that if he hasn't learned his mistakes, we're going to end up in Tottenham's time talking about where it went wrong. Okay, okay, very good there. Very good there, my friend. Listen, we went very long. Thank you, Richard. We went almost an hour and a half. We went an hour and 20 minutes. So uh, before I go, just thank you so much for doing this. Please tell everyone how they can follow you on Twitter and and um, and how that they can see what you're writing. Yeah, so uh, my Twitter's um, just Richard Buxton underscore. And um, I post most of my stuff on Facebook now, my articles, because Twitter's just a bit mad isn't it with all opinions yeah. and stuff so yeah. um, I have I, I write quite a few columns and, and do a lot of interviews and stuff so they appear on my Facebook page which is facebook.com slash Media or one word okay excellent well Richard thank you so much for joining me today to talk about Marco Silva before we go I just want to mention one last time to please subscribe to the Cottage Talk YouTube channel we are live on the YouTube channel just just started that about three to four months ago. It's going to take a while building up. So please, I really appreciate if you could uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Cottage Talk. For my very special guest, Richard Buxton. I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you as always for watching and listening to Cottage Talk. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget. Snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.